So how long can senators ignore that 500-pound white mustache in the room? The lead starts right now. President Trump's defense rests, and some Republicans get rest less and move closer to wanting key evidence that could be the smoking gun in the Ukraine scandal. As the president's former chief of staff, John Kelly, says, I believe Bolton. The impeached president and the indicted prime minister, their big plan unveiled for peace in the Middle East, and the response just in from the Palestinians, quote, no, no, a big no. And... New details on the crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other others. The special permission given to his pilot just moments before the chopper went down in flames. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. A monumental day on Capitol Hill in our politics lead today. The Trump defense team wrapping up their opening arguments, making the case that a duly elected president should not be removed from office, especially so close to an election, and that this all boils down to mere policy differences. Tomorrow, the Trump impeachment trial will pick back up with 16 hours allotted in total for the president's defense team and the Democratic House impeachment managers to answer any questions submitted by U.S. senators. But from there, the next steps are unclear. The trajectory of the trial has been upended after new revelations from John Bolton's forthcoming book that Trump explicitly called for a quid pro quo security aid for Ukraine in exchange for them investigating Democrats. Now, Trump denies it, but Trump's former chief of staff, John Kelly, said, quote, I believe John Bolton. The majority of Americans would like to hear the whole story, Kelly said. So I think if there are people that could contribute to this, either innocence or guilt, I think they should be heard, unquote. And as CNN Sarah Murray reports, it seems more possible than ever that four Republicans will break from their pack and vote to hear from additional witnesses in the trial, though the White House is working hard to stop that from happening. That ends our presentation. Thank you very much. That's a wrap on the opening arguments from the president's defense team. But a vote on whether to call new witnesses is still up in the air. The trial of the leader of the free world and the duly elected president of the United States. It is not a game of leaks and unsourced manuscripts. Trump's defense team warned that impeaching the president would be dangerous. Danger. 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 You are being asked to remove a duly elected president of the United States, and you're being asked to do it in an election year. In an election year. Why not trust the American people with this decision? Why tear up their ballots? The arguments from Trump's lawyers come after the New York Times reported former National Security Advisor John Bolton wrote in his manuscript that Trump told him directly he was withholding security aid for Ukraine until Ukraine pursued investigations into Joe Biden and his family. Today, Trump's team used the president's own words to defend him. Here's what the president said in response to that New York Times piece. I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens. If John Bolton said this... It was only to sell a book. And used lawmakers' decades-old comments against them. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment. This is unfair to the American people. The Republicans are crossing out the impeachment standard of high crimes and misdemeanors. This should end now as quickly as possible. 
Next up, senators get up to 16 hours over two days to question House impeachment managers and Trump's defense team. Democrats are expected to use much of that time hammering home their call for witnesses in the hopes of winning over moderate Republicans. Today, Senator Mitt Romney signaled he would be open to a witness swap. But I'd like to hear from John Bolton, and I think uh, the idea that's been expressed in the media about having each side be able to choose a witness or maybe more than one witness um, on a paired basis um, it has some merit. Senator Lisa Murkowski said Bolton probably has some things that would be helpful for us. While Senator James Lankford suggested senators should first be able to review Bolton's manuscript, then make a decision on witnesses. We can read all of it and see it and see for ourselves if there's anything significant there. Now, Republicans are meeting right now behind closed doors. We could get another sense of the temperature of the Republican Party on the potential of witnesses later this afternoon, Jake. All right, Sarah Murray, thanks so much. As Trump's legal team tries to push aside calls for John Bolton's testimony, former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly is giving it new life, saying that he believes John Bolton and that Americans want to hear the whole story. Let's go to CNN's Caitlin Collins. She's at the White House for us. Caitlin, yesterday Republicans tried to avoid as much as possible John Bolton. Today, they seem to be trying to avoid as much as possible John Kelly. Yeah, two former Johns who worked in the White House that are now giving them some grief because they are pushing for Bolton to testify. And John Kelly says that he believes what Bolton wrote in his book, which of course has been at the center of all of this since Sunday. And according to the Sarasota Herald Tribune, John Kelly, the former chief of staff who worked closely, of course, not only with President Trump, but also John Bolton said that he thinks that Americans, some of them believe that this is a political process that shouldn't be happening. But he said, and this is interesting, I think some of the conversations seemed to me to be very inappropriate, but I wasn't there. He says, but there are people that were there that ought to be heard from. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, Democrats try to use this to push for Bolton to testify, how Republicans try to push back on what John Kelly is saying is here. And of course, Sarah just laid out, Jake, that there is this fight that is still going on over these witnesses. We're not going to know where that's going until Friday at the earliest, but it's notable that the White House feels a lot better today. They were more comfortable addressing these Bolton allegations after Dershowitz came forward yesterday, because before that, when the New York Times had first reported on Bolton on Sunday night, the White House was essentially sent into a panic mode and thought that there was a chance they could lose up to a dozen Republicans on the witness vote here, Jake. That's really stunning because before they just been wondering about three or four. It was up to a dozen by nearly a dozen by that point. But now they say they feel a lot better for now. All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Let's chat, chat about all this. So much to talk about, but Kerry Cordero, we also just heard from Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law and an advisor. He sat down with Christiana Mampour. Take a listen. He says that Trump has been vindicated. We have a team that deals with the impeachment because it's a, it's a nuisance. The defense is going great. Honestly, I feel like, uh, again, it's very easy to defend when they don't really have any legitimate uh, accusations against you. So uh, we're very pleased with the defense. We feel like, again, the president's been totally vindicated. He's- Do you think the president has been totally vindicated? No, I don't think, based on the case that we've seen, he's been vindicated. And I think Jared Kushner speaking about it shows why it uh, is probably not a great idea to have your family working in the White House, because it doesn't really carry a lot of credibility when it's a family member who's making the argument on your defense. But on the substance of it, look, the president's legal team has really made two main arguments. One, that the charges themselves are invalid, which is not the uh, consensus constitutional view. Most constitutional lawyers believe that the charges of 
abuse of power and obstruction of Congress are legitimate charges. And the other argument that they're making is basically that the president's conduct is okay, that his asking for an investigation falls into his foreign policy authority. That is contradicted by much of the House testimony that we heard when the House had its hearings. And it's contradicted by the new information that that is coming out about John Bolton's statement. And so it just plays into why the Senate should call John Bolton. And Bill Kristol, um, yesterday, the president's defenders uh, really avoided, until uh, Dershowitz uh, spoke in the evening, they really avoided acknowledging uh, this huge story about what Bolton is alleging in his book. Now, Jay Sekulow today did acknowledge it. Take a listen. What we are involved in here, as we conclude, is perhaps the most solemn of duties under our constitutional framework. It is not a game of leaks and unsourced manuscripts. That's politics, unfortunately, and Hamilton put impeachment in the hands of this body, the Senate, precisely and specifically to be above that fray. John Bolton's book is a leak and an unsourced manuscript. Look, John Bolton, there was the case for him testifying was extremely strong before we knew about the manuscript. I mean, why, why, Fiona Hill testified under oath that after the meeting in the White House that she went to representing Bolton, Bolton said, go talk to the White House counsel. I don't, you shouldn't have, we don't, we can't have anything to do with this drug deal. Uh, Tim Morrison, who, who was a friend and worked for John Bolton, you know, really a true believer along with John Bolton, uh, said that Bolton also told him to go see the White House counsel. Bolton is a lawyer, a very experienced public servant. If he is that, was that alarmed, leave aside the book, if he was that alarmed in real time by what was happening there, something bad was happening. So then the question is, did the president order the, something bad that was happen to, happening to happen, or did he know about it? How much was it his baby as opposed to Gordon Sondland's or Rudy Giuliani's? Well, there's one person, several people who would have some sense of that, McWalvaney, John Bolton. They have to testify. It really isn't about the book. It's about the previous sworn testimony that already puts Bolton and Mulvaney, I'd say particularly, maybe Pompeo, at the core, at the center of the answering the core question, which is exactly how much did Trump know and when did he know it? And Jen Psaki, John Kelly, the former White House Mm -hmm. chief of staff, does not comment very often Mm -hmm. on what's going on at the White House. Last night, according to the Sarasota Herald Tribune, he said, if John Bolton says that in the book, I believe John Bolton, and also basically called for Bolton to testify. He did, or that's what I took away from it as well. And, you know, John Kelly may not have been there for this moment, but he certainly saw President Trump in action. Uh, He saw how he behaved around national security issues. He listened in on phone calls and conversations with foreign leaders, uh, as we've seen other times. And when we saw President Trump uh, go out and ask the Chinese to do some research and digging on, on, on Biden. So, this, this may be the tip of the iceberg, and, and I would guess that, uh, that John Kelly knows a lot as well. Not that he should testify, but that none of this surprises him. And Lindsey Graham is now uh, all offering what Lankford uh, first proposed, Senator Lankford, um, that the Bolton manuscript be made available to the Senate, if possible, in a classified setting where each senator has the opportunity to review the manuscript and make their own determination. In other words, it seems to me that would be 
let's get this 500-page manuscript in a room. People can read it, but there's no reason to have uh, have him testify. Yeah, which is weird. I mean, it's like Oprah's book club or something uh, in the Senate reading this uh, Bolton book. Why they wouldn't actually want him there to get a fuller account of what uh, what went on is bizarre. You know, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is I, I feel like we are ending up where we began, which is with looking at these uh, four people, really sort of two and a half, right? Um, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski seems to be in and out in terms of whether or not she really wants witnesses. It's not really clear. And and the other one is, of course, Lamar Alexander. It hasn't really expanded, right? I mean, there's sort of ideas that maybe it's growing, uh, but not really. Uh, Ron Johnson today said he would like to hear from Bolton uh, just on television. Yeah, Bolton should do an interview. Do do an interview. And if he wants to come, by the way, there's a seat right here for him. Which would be great. Right, which would be great. But it's also not about being under oath. It's not right. about having to vote mm-hmm. uh, for witnesses. So sort of the universe of Republicans, it hasn't really expanded. Uh, if you look back, you know, two, two weeks ago or whenever we started this, it feels like it, it's been two weeks. Um, it, it hasn't really expanded. So I think in that way, I, I think we'll see what happens on Friday. But it seems like we're sort of standing still. So you you, you anticipate that they're going to vote against witnesses? Uh, that's, I mean, listen, uh, predictions, predictions are dangerous, ex- right. especially when they're about the future. But uh, it seems unlikely. Interesting. Coming up, I'll talk with a member of President Trump's defense team about the even slightest possibility of negotiating a deal for John Bolton to testify. That's next. Stay with us. And we're back with our politics lead, President Trump's legal team, wrapping up his defense just moments ago. And now the focus shifts to tomorrow's questioning and the impending vote on whether witnesses will be called to testify. New witnesses. Joining me now is Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana. He's one of the House members on President Trump's impeachment team. He's also on the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Jake. Glad to be with you. So former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly says that he believes John Bolton's claim that President Trump directly told him that security aid for Ukraine was dependent upon the country investigating the Bidens. Kelly also said he thinks Bolton is a man of integrity and should be heard from. What do you think? I respect General Kelly, but uh, he's not a member of the U.S. Senate. Ultimately, they're the ones that have to decide that. And I think you've heard a number of senators over the last two days come out as various pieces of the defense have been uh, presented. And they've said they think it's a very compelling presentation, that that, that they understand that the facts don't change, regardless of what Bolton or Kelly or anyone else says. And, of course, the president himself said that he never told John Bolton any of the things that that we're hearing have been alleged. So, look, it, it doesn't make any difference at the end of the day, as Professor Dershowitz explained so well yesterday. The Senate first has to answer the threshold question whether the articles of impeachment that were sent over are valid on their face. They're not, because abuse of power and obstruction of Congress are not impeachable offenses, and it doesn't really matter what anybody says. Those are the facts that, that are stubborn and you can't get around. I don't know that the, that interpretation is, is a fact, the idea that uh, abuse uh, of power and obstruction of Congress are not impeachable offenses. They certainly uh, were impeachable offenses during the Nixon impeachment. They certainly were impeachable offenses uh, during the Clinton impeachment. Let me ask you a question. You say President Trump denies that that conversation took place. Uh, you are aware of how often President Trump says things that are not true, right? I mean, he is known for saying things that are false, lies, misinformation. It happens quite often. I don't agree with that characterization, but I will tell you that he's not the only person, the only individual who has refuted what has been reported about this Bolton manuscript over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, Attorney General Barr 
uh, said that it's inaccurate as well in terms of timing of things that he knew and, and the rest. Look, I thought it was interesting what uh, Senator Langford suggested. Hey, just put the manuscript in the skiff and let people go down and read it. It was interesting. I thought Senator Schumer, what he came out and said, no, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not right, that's not important, and we shouldn't do that. Why, they said. Because if you put something in the skiff, it means you're trying to hide something. Hello, that's how the House case was put together in the first place. It's what we've been complaining about since all this began. Uh, Adam Schiff and, and those folks had the, the, the right. super secret hearings in the basement. So if, if they have a problem with it now, why didn't they have a problem with it in the first stage? Just you participate, a lot of hypocrisy around You here. participated in that deposition, right? You participated in the depositions uh, in the SCIF because you're a member of the House Judiciary Committee. No, that's an important point. I, even though we're the committee with jurisdiction, I was not allowed in the SCIF. It was intel and, and, uh, and, and oversight that were allowed to do that. No, there, were three, there were three committees that were allowed. Judiciary wasn't, and that's a critical point. We're the ones that have jurisdiction over impeachment, and we're the ones that were supposed to have ultimately voted to send the articles to the full House. Oh, it was foreign and affairs. we never saw that's the right. evidence. It was yeah. foreign affairs, intelligence, uh, and, and oversight. oversight. So right. let me ask you a question. But you know that there were House Republicans that were in the skiff is, is really the larger point I was trying to address. You know that there were House Republicans there. There, so, there were, but it was a small subset of the House. Right, it was 48, 48, I think, were allowed. So right. when Pat Cipollone, the, pres- the White House counsel, went on the floor of the Senate and said that House Republicans were not allowed in the skiff, which you know is not true, did that bother you? Because you know there were House Republicans that spent hours upon hours in the skiff, Mark Meadows, yes. Elise Stefanik. I mean, you know that what Cipollone said was not true. But Jake, you and I have talked about this before. I am the ranking member of the Constitution Subcommittee of House Judiciary, which is the only committee that really has jurisdiction over impeachment. And as we just discussed, I've never been able to see all of this evidence so-called that was gathered in the basement. It's a problem. And what Cipollone said was the Republicans haven't been able to get in there. A lot of us weren't. You're talking about a small subset. There's 199 Republicans in the House. Most of us didn't. And, and most 48 of the Democrats House Republicans is not nothing. But the other thing, let's talk about the House Judiciary Committee, because you're on that committee. And uh, Jay Sekulow told the Senate uh, that the president wasn't allowed to participate in the House Judiciary Committee process at all, that he wasn't allowed to cross-examine witnesses, that he wasn't uh, allowed uh, to have counsel there, that he wasn't invited you know that that's not true. He was invited to participate in all of those things. And Cipollone wrote a letter saying we're not going to participate. That's something else that the president's team said to the Senate that wasn't true. Again, that must bother you. No, Jake, here's the, the reality. This investigation went 79 days. 71 of those 79 days, the president's counsel was blocked out of the proceeding. Adam Schiff did not allow them in the basement. They were not allowed to be present for the presentation of all this evidence. They weren't allowed to ask questions. Republican witnesses weren't allowed. There was no appropriate cross-examination because Republican questions were stifled. All of that is true and irrefutable, and it's unprecedented because in the Clinton proceedings and, and Nixon and, and even back to Andrew Johnson, as far right. as we can tell, that was not the case. And so that's what Jay Sekulow and, and the, the counsel is complaining about. No, no, no. This he was, was not fair. No, no. He was specifically talking about the House Judiciary Committee process. I will put the quote up on Twitter so people can see what I'm talking about. Do it. But what, what, he, what he means by that, he, I, I don't know the exact language. I'm not sure which part you're talking about. I watched all when the When he referred to the trifecta. It's when he referred but, to the trifecta. He, talked, but, he was specifically talking about the House Judiciary Committee process. We only have time for one more question. Let me ask you and you get the last word. And that is you're talking about witnesses, the need for witnesses, the need for cross-examination. A new Quinnipiac poll finds that 75 percent of the American people say witnesses should be allowed to testify in the impeachment trial. Twenty percent say no. You can't get 75 percent of the American people to believe to to agree on anything, but they want witnesses. Why block them? 
Well, a lot of those, by the way, are Trump supporters because yeah. they want to hear from Biden and, sure. and both the Bidens and the whistleblower and maybe Adam Schiff himself. But look, at the end of the day, the Senate is the body that's given this responsibility and will ultimately make that determination. And I think a majority of them are going to decide at the end of the day that the, the, the summary by Professor Dershowitz was right uh, and, and the rest of this is uh, not needed because they know the facts, the facts don't change, and I think we have enough here. If we drag this out indefinitely, Jake, just think about what it will do to the country. It will further divide us, perhaps irreparably, going into an election year. How does that behoove anyone if we already know the ultimate outcome of this? I think common sense has to prevail here at some point, and I hope that it will. Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jake. Joe Biden's response today after a Republican senator said that President Trump's Ukraine dealings might have been something that could affect the Iowa caucuses and his standing in them. Stay with us. I was kidding with Roger. In our 2020 lead, we are less than one week away from the Iowa caucuses. And despite the backdrop of the Senate impeachment trial, former Vice President Joe Biden is seizing the moment, especially after these comments from Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst yesterday, which came after a detailed presentation by the president's attorneys that described the Bidens in the harshest possible light. Take a listen. I'm really interested to see how this discussion today informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters, those Democratic caucus goers. Will they be supporting Vice President Biden at this point? CNN's Arlette Science is in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, Arlette, what is Vice President Biden's reaction to that? Well, Jake, Joe Biden is taking these comments from Joni Erst head on, arguing that they provide a clear insight into President Trump's thinking. Take a listen to what he had to tell voters in Muscatine, Iowa, earlier today. Did anyone see what your Senator Joni Ernst did yesterday? She spilled the beans. She just came out and flat said it. You know, the whole impeachment trial for Trump is just a political hit job to try to spare me because he is scared to death to run against me and he has good reason to be concerned. <laughs> you all, Iowa caucus goers have a chance for a twofer here. You can ruin Donald Trump's night by caucus for me and you can ruin Joni Ernst's night as well. So Joe Biden essentially there issuing a rallying cry for those Democrats who are working to defeat President Trump. And after at stop after stop over the past 24 hours, Joe Biden has talked about those attacks from Republicans, saying that, one, he can't hold grudges uh, for that because a president in the future will have to be a healer. But he's also saying that these attacks have made him stronger. And he's arguing that politically, being the focus of these, tr these Trump arguments could help him. He said every time the president's team mentions him, that it's going to get him another vote here in Iowa with the caucuses just six days away. Jake. Arlette Signs in Davenport, thank you so much. Uh, let's chat about this. And Jackie Kucinich joins us now. So pr Biden says Joni Ernst spilled the beans. Specifically, she said, yeah. I'm really interested to see how this discussion <laughs> informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters. Will they be supporting Vice President Biden? I agree. But then again, I'm not a Republican senator. She said the quiet part loud. And it, it came after this very you know, self-serious presentation by the president's lawyers about how what the Bidens did was a legitimate reason, was a legitimate issue for the president to be concerned about. And that and their corruption uh, was was uh, needed looked into. And then right after she walked down the steps to the Senate basement and said that. So that contrast really was jarring last night. And, you know, no senators 
have been able to answer the question of if they were so concerned about all of this corruption with the Bidens, why didn't they look into this in 2015 when some of these reports that were cited on the Senate floor last night were first were first rolled out? Um, no one's been able to answer that. They had control. They could have done it. It's possible that they were too busy with the following, which is in 2015, then-Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy described the investigation into Hillary Clinton and Benghazi as a part of a political strategy. Take a listen. Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not agree. thought and That's made something that good. Untrustable. <laughs> um, New word. But look, whatever one suspects uh, needed to be looked at in Benghazi or even with the Bidens, the fact that it's being described in, in such harsh political terms de- definitely takes away from the seriousness of it. I mean, what Senator Ernst said was really so inappropriate. She's supposed to be sitting as part of a Senate as court of impeachment and that she walks out and makes this uh, political comment about how maybe this will hurt uh, Biden in Iowa, as were McCarthy's comments at the time. Very inappropriate. Having said that, I do think the Benghazi hearings hurt Hillary Clinton. They hurt her in the general election more, but they hurt her against Sanders, too, because if you wanted change and you were a little worried about corruption and you wanted to shake things up and, uh, as a Democrat, you probably were a little more inclined to vote for Sanders in 2016 because of the drip Jip, jip of that what year or two on Benghazi. Yeah. And I don't buy, I mean, it's nice that Joe Biden is, I, I guess if I were in his shoes, I'd be trying to say the same things. See, they're scared of me. It can't be helping Joe Biden. I don't really buy that. The fact that Biden is talking about this one week before the primary, not about what he would do as president, not how he can bring the country together, but is sort of answering Joni Ernst about his son having this $50,000 a month retainer from a Ukrainian company, yeah. that can't be good for Biden. I mean, I disagree with that because I think what Biden wants is to generate some excitement and some attention to his candidacy in the state and nationally, too. And right now he's looking like the candidate that... Republicans are scared of, that Trump's scared of, that Joni Ernst wants to raise, that they're trying to create this whole political circus so that he doesn't become the nominee. You know, that's something that I think he can use to his advantage. Although he's not exactly thriving in Iowa right now, according to local Uh, polls. Sanders is ahead of him. Yeah, I think that's right. Sanders uh, didn't need uh, an impeachment or allegations against uh, his son to generate, uh, you know, excitement. He's got uh, lots of money in the bank. He he almost won Iowa. Uh, Last go-round, I guess the last poll, yeah, he's 25 percent. There's... I think there's another poll that shows Biden, you know, in the lead. Listen, Iowans are late deciders in some ways. Maybe that'll be bad for Biden because sort of the the closing weekend before they go to the polls, there's going to be this impeachment vote. The president will certainly get off. But again, it'll be about swampy Washington and part of it will be about Biden. Stick around. we got more to talk about President Trump defending Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today after a reporter said the Secretary of State cursed her out behind closed doors for asking questions. That's next. Stay with us. Any minute, President Trump will head to a rally in the Garden State, New Jersey, as his defense team rests its case in the impeachment trial. And after the president unveiled his version of a Mideast peace plan with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, a man who was indicted just hours before on corruption charges, this peace plan was spearheaded by the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, with no consultation with Palestinian leaders, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports. What were you involved in here? As his defense team was on Capitol Hill making its final arguments, President Trump was at the White House presenting his Middle East peace plan, which he says is a win-win opportunity for both sides. 
a realistic two-state solution that resolves the risk of Palestinian statehood to Israel's security. In a ceremony that indicated who the peace plan favors, only one of those sides was present. Benjamin Netanyahu, the embattled Israeli prime minister formally indicted on corruption charges just hours earlier, stood by Trump's side as he unveiled his vision. It's a great plan for Israel. It's a great plan for peace. No one from the Palestinian leadership attended the ceremony, and the Palestinian Authority president called it this afternoon the slap of the century. Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and plans architect, defended it to CNN's Christiane Amanpour. The Palestinian leadership have to ask themselves a question. Do they want to have a state? Do they want to have a better life? If they don't, then they're going to screw up another opportunity. The plan gives Israel the green light to immediately annex all of its settlements in the West Bank, something the U.S. has not supported in the past, while offering Palestinians a pathway to limited statehood if they meet a set of conditions. And it asked the Palestinians to give up on claims to nearly 30 percent of the West Bank. Of course, our great secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. Today, Trump also weighed in for the first time since his secretary of state blew up at an NPR reporter who asked him about Ukraine. That reporter couldn't have done too good a job on you yesterday. I think you did a good job on her, actually. The clash started this weekend when Pompeo abruptly ended an interview and, according to the reporter, berated her afterward. He asked, do you think Americans care about Ukraine? He used the F word in that sentence uh, and many others. Now, Jake, the State Department is yet to explain why they kicked a separate but another NPR reporter off Secretary Pompeo's upcoming trip overseas this week. But the State Department Correspondents Association said they believe it's retaliation for that clash. All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all of this. Uh, first of all, Liga, how do you have a Israeli-Palestinian peace deal if the Palestinians are not part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's easy in some ways because you don't actually have to do anything. You just write the plan. And, of course, we know how they uh, responded. Listen, this is about Netanyahu. Uh, this might be good for his re-election. Uh, and, you know, he's obviously just been indicted. It's also, I think, good politics for Donald Trump, yeah. right, with white evangelicals. They very much see him uh, as God's chosen one. And I don't say that in a, in a disparaging way at all. Uh, they see him as someone who can do great things, do great things for, for Israel, and obviously do great things uh, for Christians here at home. And so that's how I looked at it. Uh, it's good for Netanyahu uh, as well as, uh, as as his domestic politics, Donald Trump, in terms of uh, generating enthusiasm among that core base of voters. Jackie, take a listen to Kushner just moments ago talking to Christiane Amapour. It's a big opportunity for the Palestinians, and, you know, they have a perfect track record of blowing every opportunity they've had in their past, but perhaps maybe their leadership will read the details of it, uh, stop posturing, and do what's best to try to make the Palestinian people's lives better. Well, I mean, Jen Psaki knows this world better than I do, but that just sounds like some skillful diplomacy <laughs> uh, 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 to me. Just saying, you know, you better like it and wise up. Um, You're a bunch of horrible leaders. I mean, perhaps it's better that they didn't talk. We would be in an even worse position <laughs> if they had tried to negotiate this current plan. But no, it, this, this was a photo op. This was something that the president can trot out as, you know, perhaps a campaign ad down the line uh, because they don't really observe you know, traditional rules. So, uh, yeah, there was no substance to this. Bill, take a listen to President Trump talking about the Palestinians in this deal. It's something they should want. They probably won't want it initially, but I think in the end they will. I think in the end they're going to want it. 
thoughts? I mean, well, normally you do consult with both parties to the peace plan, or at least try to, and uh, even those peace plans don't haven't worked too well. So the, you know, I don't. I think it is a photo op. For, for I guess President Trump thinks it helps him domestically. So I don't know, if you look at the Middle East, all the great promises, getting out of the Iran deal was going to set back Iran, killing Soleimani was going to, there wasn't going to be any retribution against Americans. I mean, I, I think a lot of stuff is falling apart there mm -hmm. uh, due to his policies, obviously. I, I do want to ask you about uh, the interaction the Secretary of State Pompeo had with uh, Mary Louise Kelly and now Michelle Kellerman. Um, you were the press secretary for the Secretary of State. I'm sure there were times that you didn't like questions that were being asked. What do you think of what's going on there? Absolutely. And uh, there were moments where I had heated arguments, sometimes on camera with reporters and sometimes off camera. Uh, but never when I was there did we kick a reporter off of a trip um, for a variety of reasons. One, um, it, it's the wrong message to send to the world. When you're the State Department, oftentimes you're going into countries and you're saying, you should, freedom of the press is something we believe in. You should let reporters into press conferences. They're taking that off the table. They can no longer do that. And two, you need these reporters there to report on what you're doing internationally. Otherwise, you're relying on state-run media and the stories being told by foreign governments. Also, let me just say, I've worked with both of these reporters. They are tough and smart, and I didn't always like what they reported or what they said, um, but they are substantive and policy-driven, and so this is even more outrageous because of that. I can't imagine, as a former campaign and then a White House reporter under Obama, when you were I can't imagine if you guys sought retribution like that. I wouldn't have gotten any interviews. <laughs> no, there were many times we did not like what you were reporting, for sure. You know what's striking, Jake? Don't you think is that Pompeo personally wanted to put out the statement attacking her? Yeah. He didn't have his, his yeah. press, his equivalent of Jen Psaki do it. that is not a sign it. of strength. No, that is a sign of catering to Trump and to yeah. Trump's base. That's what that is. Exactly. Everyone stick around. Coming up next, the new video showing Kobe, Kobe Bryant's helicopter just moments before the tragic and deadly crash on Sunday. Stay with us. In our sports lead, new video showing the helicopter carrying Kobe Bryant moments before the helicopter crashed into a California hillside, killing him and all nine people on board. The NTSB says it had been flying under low visibility flight rules. That's a clearance allowing pilots to fly in adverse conditions. In Los Angeles, mourners outside the Staples Center continue to gather after the NBA postponed tonight's Lakers-Clippers game. CNN's Nick Watt joins me now from the scene of the tragic crash. Um, Nick, on Sunday, the day of the crash, the LAPD grounded all their helicopters because of low visibility. Why was this helicopter still allowed to fly? Well, different models of helicopter, Jake. So, I mean, as you mentioned, this pilot asked Burbank Air Traffic Control, can I fly under these special visual flight rules, which means that, you know, the visibility is not optimal, but that pilot, however he made this decision, decided that he could still fly on safely. Now, that will, of course, be a focus of this investigation. In fact, we heard from the NTSB this morning that they will be asking the questions why he asked for that special dispensation and whether he should have. So the weather is potentially a big factor here. It was foggy this morning, the NTSB, sorry, Sunday morning, the NTSB also asking members of the public around here to send in any photographs they have from Sunday morning showing what the weather conditions were like. So what we do know is he was granted that dispensation. He flew on 
The last contact with controllers was the pilot saying he was going to climb to avoid a cloud. The radar shows him climbing to 2,300 feet, then turning and then descending. Now, they descended about 1,200 feet into that mountainside, which is behind me. The coroner we have heard from, they say that they have now managed to recover the nine bodies of the people on board. But, of course, the investigation on the ground continues. They are trying to get the perishable evidence. And from there, they say they're confident they will determine why Kobe Bryant's plane uh, helicopter crashed. Jake? All right, Nick Watts, so tragic. Thank you so much. Coming up next, the urgent request from the United States to China as health officials are scrambling to contain the deadly coronavirus. Stay with us. In our health lead, Alex Azar, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, is pressuring the Chinese government for more, quote, cooperation and transparency on the deadly coronavirus outbreak, which has killed more than 100 people in China and sickened close to 5,000 people. United Airlines just announcing this afternoon that they are suspending some flights between the U.S. and China, where 60 million people are under full or partial lockdowns. Outside China, more than 70 cases have been confirmed around the world, including five cases in the United States. CNN's David Culver joins me now live from Beijing. Uh, David, hundreds of Americans were just evacuated today from Wuhan uh, by the State Department. What precautions are being taken to make sure they are not carrying the virus back with them to the U.S.? And Jake, just within the past few minutes, we've heard from the State Department confirming to CNN that that plane has, in fact, taken off from Wuhan. As to the precautions for the 240 people on board, including U.S. diplomats, their families, and a select number of civilians who live within the lockdown zone who are allowed to apply for seats, they went through not one, but two health screenings here in China, one done by Chinese officials, the other done by U.S. officials. And then they'll go through a third screening once they land in Anchorage and be cleared to then go on to California. Then, Jake, they're going to spend anywhere from three to 14 days in quarantine. What are health officials doing to contain the known cases from spreading in the United States? Well, a couple of things here. On the U.S. side of things, we know that they have airport screenings in place at at least 20 airports around the U.S., We also know that the CDC is really kind of streamlining the testing here. They're the only ones to officially go forward with some of the confirmation that somebody may or may not have the coronavirus. But really, they're looking to China to really handle this more than anything else. I mean, they've got the major containment effort and they are canceling large gatherings or even, Jake, putting off the Lunar New Year holiday, continuing to extend it so people don't get together in these large groups. And you were just in Wuhan. You, you left before the lockdown took effect. What, what is like life for the people who are there right now? It's a little strange. The people I've been talking to on the ground, I mean, they're kind of portraying this weird, surreal life. I mean, for them, some things are going on as usual, but then everybody's wearing face masks. It's mandatory there. They're not able to use public transportation because of the lockdown. And quite frankly, some people are describing desperate situations, Jake. One person even had to stay in their car to avoid going into their home with their family, essentially self-quarantine. Oh, sounds awful. David Culver, stay safe. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.